Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I first want to begin by saying uh, congratulations to our Clifton Cubs band for getting third place in the competition last night. Yeah, that's right. Round of applause. They also, Zach Lindsay texted me at, I think, 11... 15 or something saying that they just got the announcement so if if any of you teens fall asleep I give you permission because you were up so late last night but uh um yeah yeah as I say some of the band parents you got to stay up no I'm just kidding but uh we've been going through this series called the good life and for the past six weeks we've been in proverbs and this week we are shifting to ecclesiastes and part of the point one of the things I've been trying to emphasize throughout this is All three of these books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, these are the wisdom literature books of the Old Testament. Now, do I think that all three of the composers and writers were working with each other when they were doing this? Of course not. But I do believe that they are all categorized like this because over the years, God's people have read these three books and they've said, we need all three of these books. We need all three perspectives of these three books to answer the question, what does it mean to live and have a good life? And Proverbs is really nice, and I really enjoy Proverbs because it's pretty neat and tidy. There's a whole lot of, you know, if you tend to make these choices and tend to avoid these choices, your life will tend to go well. And of course, if you're all sitting out there, what's the next thing that comes into your head? Well, Drew, what about when it doesn't? That's why we have Ecclesiastes, and that's why we have Job. And so I was originally planning on doing two sermons on Ecclesiastes, but instead I'm doing four sermons on Ecclesiastes. Whoa. Um, So uh, today, just like with the Proverbs series, with the Proverbs series, I felt like before I could get started, I had to discuss the fear of the Lord. It was such an important part. I had to do almost a whole sermon on the fear of the Lord before we could really get into this. And so this sermon in some ways is going to be a little bit of laying some bricks and laying some groundwork. So the first crucial brick that needs to be laid is something that I think you're probably going to leave this sermon still confused about what I'm about to say. But the hope is, is that this brick, by the time we get to our fourth lesson, will have been worth it. Okay. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Okay, this word teacher in Hebrew is the word koheleth. What? That is where we get the word Ecclesiastes from. Ecclesiastes, koheleth, that sounds nothing like, I don't know why. But if you said, what does Ecclesiastes mean? It is the word in Hebrew, teacher, or more literally, the one who gathers people to proclaim something, okay? And the first brick that is really, really important, that's hard to explain, but I have an analogy that might work, work, is there are two speakers in the book of Ecclesiastes. There is the author, who we have here, who introduces us to the teacher, who talks for 95% of the book. And then the author is going to come back in chapter 12, and he's going to summarize and kind of reflect on what the teacher argued. So here's my analogy. You ready? I want you to imagine that there has been some kind of tragedy at a school. Okay, some kind of big tragedy. Um, There was a Friday night football game. A few kids were out, and there was a tragedy. Okay? 
I want you to imagine there's the principal who's like, I've got to talk to the parents, but I'm not qualified to talk about tragedy. I went to school to be a principal, not to be a tragedy grief counselor. And so what they do is they bring in this expert on tragedies in schools. And so this is what you can picture. Um, hello, the principal at Clifton is Andy Ball, or no, that's the superintendent? Okay, well, then it won't work. But um, let's say Andy Ball gets up and he says, hey, everybody, you know me. We're all here because something really difficult happened. I want to introduce to you uh, Sarah Smith is going to be coming up, and they are going to be uh, talking to us today about what we experienced. I want you all to be good listeners for her. She comes up, she talks, talks about tragedy, talks about grief, walks off, and then Andy Ball comes back up and says, okay, y'all, now that we've heard from her, let's think about this, okay? And what I want you to hear that, in my opinion, is crucial is... I believe that the author of Ecclesiastes, who introduces us to the teacher, the author and the teacher have two different theologies about life. He's like, hey, y'all, I want y'all to hear from this teacher. And the teacher is going to spend a lot of the book talking about his theology, his opinion on life. And then the, te the author will say, thank you, teacher. Have a good day. And we'll say, okay, now let's come back and let's talk about this. You're probably like, wow, that's... Is, that doesn't seem relevant. I think it will be relevant, okay? Hold on to it. It's going to come back. So the teacher is introduced to us by the author, and now we have this line from the, uh, the, the teacher, and the teacher is going to begin and end his message with the same exact thing, which is basically a summary of what he thinks about life. Here is brick number two that is really important for this series. Many of you have different translations. Some of you, the word here is meaningless or vanity or all sorts of things. I'd be curious what Linda says. I know you use a unique translation. What does yours say, Linda? First uh, Yeah, first word. Meaningless. Meaningless, okay. Okay, it's going to say meaningless or it's going to say uh, vanity of vanities. Okay, so the Hebrew word here is hevel. Hevel, hevel, says the teacher utterly hevel. Everything is hevel. That's verse chapter 1, verse 2. And then at the very end when he stops talking at 12, 8, he says, hevel, hevel, says the teacher. Everything is hevel. And that has been translated by the King James and over the years as meaningless or as uh, vanity. Those maybe don't help us as much as I would like. So here is what the Hebrew word hevel means. It literally means smoke or vapor. That's literally what the word means. Vapor, vapor, everything is vapor, or smoke, smoke. And the idea of what they're trying to get across is, is that everything in life is this temporary thing that is hard to grab hold of. I want you to imagine there's a campfire, and you, I, I have sat for hours by a campfire just being like entranced by the flame or the smoke coming up and twirling and it looks so substantial it looks like you could grab it but if you tried to grab smoke what would you have in your hand nothing right I told my dad I was like maybe if I put a campfire up here for this sermon he said or you could smoke a cigarette I said oh let's not do that uh, I, um, but the idea is this illustration of the, you get this idea you see the smoke it's there Okay, I'm going to grab hold of it. And then the second you try, it's, it's gone. The, the writer, as we're going to read in a second, the, the teacher will call this chasing the wind. Just like smoke, try, I'm trying to grab this. But then if you spend your life trying to chase the wind, it's going to go different places. It's hard to catch. It is temporary, fleeting, unsubstantial. If it has substance, it's grabbable. It's insubstantial. It's futile. Okay? So with that in mind, reread what the, uh, the teacher is trying to say. Smoke, 
vapor, unsubstantial. Everything is futile. That is the message. And, and one, one thing that uh, I think will help us out, the idea that this teacher is trying to say is, in life, we see things that we think are real and we want to grab onto. We think, there's happiness. I'm going to go get it. And then the second you get it and you think you have it, the next day tragedy strikes. And you're like, what the heck? I thought I grabbed this. I thought I had it, but now it's gone. Or you think, you know what? I listened to this great podcast. I read this great book. Eat, pray, love. That's it. That's how I'm going to find happiness. I'm going to grab onto it. And then the second you try and grab onto it, it's gone. And so I was talking with my dad this week, trying to come up with analogies. And here was the one that made both of us laugh quite a bit. My mom had almost no control of the remote in my house. Back when, you know, you had TV, you had to watch at a certain time to watch a certain thing. You know, you couldn't just watch everything when you wanted to. And I remember every day at a certain time, mom did have one time where she got to commandeer the remote to watch the evening weather channel report. That was what it was. How many of you are weather channel buffs in here? Anybody? Anybody that's like, the weather's about to come on. And here's what I'd say every time. Mom, every time you watch that, there is just as much of a chance that the weather is completely different than what they say as there is that it's accurate, right? I, I literally, if you said, if you watched the Texas Weather Channel and said, oh, it says there's an 80% chance of rain today, tomorrow, and you pack your rain jacket, the odds are high that it won't rain at all. Or you see it and it says, oh, the, it says tomorrow that, you know, it's going to be 50 degrees outside. You get your coat, it could be 95. And then it could be two hours later, it could be cold and raining, right? Texas weather is trying to predict and harness Texas weather is smoke, it's vapor, it's fleeting, it's insubstantial, it's incredibly difficult to try and get our hands around this. And so the teacher says, this is in 12 through 14, chapter 1 still, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God had laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun, and all of them are hevel, a chasing after the wind. And so now what is about to happen is the author is about to let the teacher do something that all of us need to hear. The teacher is going to build up something and say, I tried to find meaning in this, and then he's going to knock it down. I tried to find meaning in this, and he's going to knock it down. It's like a house of cards. Oh, here comes meaning. There's no meaning in that. So let's read a few things, a few examples. 17 through 18 says, Well, then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom. I tried to gain wisdom. And also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more money, more problems. Um, I tried to find this. And I just, it was pointless. He keeps going. He says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Am I going to find meaning in pleasure to find out what is good? But that also proved to be meaningless. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Oh man, he's going to be, this is going to be perfect. He's going to be so happy. What, could, what more could you want, right? He's gotten everything. I died, denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work that I had done, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Everything was hevel, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And so we see, and like I said, as with Ecclesiastes, you can start to become a little discouraged. 
Because part of what I think is, is as I said, he's saying, I tried to find this in one way, meaningless. I tried to find this in pleasure, meaningless. He's, there's more examples in the book. But we can all think of people in our life where you see everything they have and you think they ought to be the happiest person in the world. Why do they seem so miserable? You hear of these famous actors or actresses who their life falls apart and you think, man, if God had rolled that, those dice for me, I would have done something better with that. Not necessarily. That's part of what we see here. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen a pro athlete make, like, get a contract for like $300 million. And I think, God, if you had done that for me, I would have been really benevolent. I would have given a few million away at least. And yet, you never know. Uh, this is a little side note. I don't know if it'll apply, but I hope it will. Every year when football season comes around, there is still a part of me that wonders, God, what if you had made me athletic enough to be a, like a, not even a pro football player, but like a backup college player on a good team. And you know what I think about though? Is I probably would have been a more arrogant person. And I probably would have been somebody who was like, look at me, man. And I'm really, I, I already struggle with arrogance. And I would have not liked to be more arrogant. And so I remember thinking, I was like, you know, this is another example of sometimes the more good things you have happen, the worse of a person you are. Um, and sometimes the more bad things you have happen seem to help you. Anyway, I'm not calling being not 6'3 and 240 pounds a, a bad thing that happened to me, but uh, still. Okay. The question that you're probably asking yourself is okay, Drew, are you telling me that? There's no point in all of this. And no, that's not the, the, the thing that, the thing that you first need to hear if you're a journal taker, the first big takeaway for this first one is the teacher is looking at all the ways we attempt to find meaning and purpose in life. And then he just points out how futile they are for his experience. And I think all of us have been there before. There are definitely times where we can all relate to, we had our whole family over for Christmas here. I'm, I've never had this happen, but I bet you there's a mom out here who has. Our family has gone through a lot. This Christmas is going to be where we're all happy. And we're all going to have a great Christmas. We're all going to be smiling and happy no matter what's going on. And you know why? It's because I'm going to pick the perfect presents. I'm going to make the perfect meal. I'm going to wrap everything perfectly. The house is going to be decorated. And when you all show up, you're going to be so happy. And then whenever you go through all that work and your first meal, someone says, can you believe what happened on the news? That's it. And the whole thing, you know, the whole family erupts. Hey, you be quiet. Hey, you know, and... And the mom's just sitting there like, it was futile, futile, it was meaningless. I tried so hard to do everything right to make this happen. And, and we do that with our lives. So before I move to the point, I want to make one side point, though, that I think is important. No matter where your theology is, at some level, a part of the question that I think has to be said still is, are you putting your meaning and purpose in things that last? All these things he's seeking and looking for are things that he keeps saying, they don't last, they don't endure. I do believe in this life there are things that endure. And we spend an awful lot of time not investing in those things and investing in other things. Last night, there's a big football game on between a team that I like a lot and a team I don't like. And Catherine was at work last night, and so I am doing the kids' bedtime. I'm sitting there with Landry Joe, checking the score of the game while we're doing bedtime. And I remembered today sitting right there while we're singing a song and Landry Joe's singing Glorify Thy Name because it's a bedtime song we've sang. I've thought, man, that is something where last night, as much as I like football, I sure wasted that bedtime on something that doesn't matter instead of putting effort into something that does matter. Does that make sense? We do that an awful lot. Okay, 
But this isn't the thing that I want us to reflect on the most. Because I do want to really think about the fact that we in this life feel like life can be futile. We, all of us, have been in places where we've tried to grab the happiness, the good life, and it's vanished from our hands like smoke or vapor. It's something we all can relate to. We think, my life feels empty or meaningless. I'm going, I'm going to go see if I can find that meaning or emptiness in shopping. I'm going to try and fill that with a great day at the outlet mall. By the way, not a bad day, but at the end of it, you're like, ah, oh, that didn't fill it up. That didn't cause it. That, that was a fake good life day because it didn't solve the emptiness. Or an even more tragic thing, when people are having a rough life and they think, you know what, if I just filled my life by marrying the right person, that's going to solve it all. That emptiness I have in my life by not having the right person, the second I find them and they fill my life, none of us were ever designed by God to be the fulfillment of your, of your life. If I think my life has no meaning without Catherine, I am putting too much on her to be something she was never designed to be. Right? But this is a chasing the wind. This is a trying... I can imagine someone who feels empty, finds the right girl, they get married two years later. I thought I grabbed it. I thought I had it. But it's, you know, it's just still happiness evades me. Where is it? We do this with so many things. I could go on and on about examples of, well, maybe this boat will make me happy. Well, maybe if we move out of our house and I get to design my own house, that's going to be where I get happy. Or, you see what I'm saying? It's this constant chasing. Paul describes, in my opinion, in the New Testament, an example of this feeling where us and all of creation has had a frustration about this life. And so in Romans 8, 18 through 21, he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. All right, so nerd note here. The Hebrew Bible is in what language, right? It's in Hebrew, okay? Eventually, there came a group of guys that translated into Greek, okay? A Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew Bible. When the Greek translators translated Ecclesiastes and the word hevel, meaninglessness, it is the same Greek word that Paul is using here of frustration. Everything is frustrating. Everything just feels futile. That word is the same word, like I said, it's in Greek, it's not the Hebrew, but it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word hevel. One of the translations is here, this frustration. And Paul is talking about, he's, we've all been there, we've all been frustrated. So has creation, longing for this. But not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay, its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We relate to the words of the teacher, but we are not destined for meaninglessness. The teacher is completely right. This life is futile. It has no meaning. But then Christ came into the picture. And I firmly believe this. Part of the message of Ecclesiastes is 100% true. We are completely and totally at the mercy of, in our attempts to find and grab the good life, it's always going to be smoke and vapor. And then one day, God sent His Son to die on the cross for us. He came in the form of a servant and he dwelled among us and he lived a life perfectly. And then one day he died on the cross and three days later he rose again. And from that moment forward, we in all of creation rejoice in the fact that we are a part of a new trajectory on life. A new trajectory where when we stand at funerals and we see the casket in the grave, we see the casket in the 
It's about to go in the grave, and we think, what is all this about? This seems so futile. That body and that grave doesn't have the last answer anymore because no longer is life something where you just wonder, what's the point of all this? You get to come to a place where you said, when Jesus Christ came, he changed that story, and there is meaning in this life. But that meaning is only found in Jesus Christ. That meaning, that lack, I don't want this life to feel so futile, that only comes from a life with Christ and being a part of that. The teacher is completely right. Life has no meaning. But then Christ came. The teacher is 100% right. Life has no purpose. But then the tomb was empty. So I want to encourage you, if you're someone who's looking for meaning in life, if you're someone that has, is tired of trying to find happiness and it keeps evading you, keeps trying to find good, the good life and it keeps evading you, and you think, well, that life should look like all these good things and it shouldn't look like all these bad things. Christ came to show us what the good life looks like. And it sure didn't look like a walk in the park. But you know what it did look like? It looked like a relationship with the Father. And if we choose to have a relationship with Christ, we too get to join in that relationship with God and with Christ. And we no longer have to sit and wonder, is there any point of all this? But we get to know, with Christ, there is a point. With Christ in our life, there is no more meaninglessness, no more futile. Now, obviously we struggle all the time and we still try and grab it in other ways. But I want to invite you, if you haven't already, this begins with choosing to give your life to Christ. This begins with a conversation where you say, I want to know what this is like. I don't want this to be meaningless anymore. And if any of you would like to have that conversation, we'd love to talk with you now. Or if you're watching online, we'd love to talk with you during the middle of this week about what it means, like, what it means to choose to say, my life has no meaning, but with Christ, my life has meaning. And my life has a purpose and it's no longer futile. If any of you have any prayer requests or anything we can pray for you about, the elders are going to be standing at the exits while we stand.